Hi, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Work With Purpose, a podcast about the Australian public service. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. I begin today's podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet today, the Ngunnawal people, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and future, and acknowledge the ongoing contribution they make to the life of our city and this region. Well, welcome everyone to Science Week, Australia's annual celebration of science and technology. Today, I welcome our Work With Purpose guest to Studio 19 through the power of Microsoft's Teams technology. Now, I can just imagine many of you in the audience nodding as the Australian government's approved version of this technology, GovTeams, has become so much a part of your daily work. It's remarkable to consider the need for and then the adoption of GovTeams and how it has so quickly become the central communication channel that enables so much of the business of government today. My guests on today's program are the Managing Director of Microsoft Australia, Stephen Worrell. Stephen joined Microsoft in March of 2014 as Director of the Enterprise and Partner Group, where he had responsibility for the Australian commercial and public sector markets. He previously worked for IBM for 22 years, where he held a number of marketing, sales and general management roles. He joins me from his home in Sydney. Stephen Worrell, welcome to Work With Purpose. Thank you so much, David. Great to be here. My second guest today is Larry Marshall, the CEO of the CSIRO. CSIRO is Australia's science innovation and research organisation, and it has a very simple mission, which is to solve the world's greatest challenges through innovative science and technology. Larry is a scientist and entrepreneur with a PhD in physics. He became a global leader in laser research when he invented the iSafe laser, which enabled lasers to be used safely in public. He holds 20 patents. He has served on 20 boards of high-tech companies operating in the United States, Australia, and China. And since taking up his role as the CEO of CSIRO in January of 2015, Larry has been a strong supporter of Australian innovation. He joins me on the line. Larry Marshall, welcome to Work With Purpose. Thanks, David. Pleasure to be here. So, Stephen, I might, if I might begin with you, uh, come to you first as a small part, Microsoft Australia, of a very big global organisation. What has your experience been of COVID-19? Oh, David, I think there's um, lots of experiences that have been jammed into the last six months to reflect on, but um, perhaps the, the first and most important thought is just the speed of change that we've, we've experienced as a result of, of the pandemic. Uh, quite obviously, every person in the country, every every person on the planet has had their life turned upside down. And so we've seen um, a range of implications that have come from that reality as our health system, our education system, as our communities more broadly have had to adapt. And I think for us, there's, there's been a rapid adoption of all things digital as part of that. And so that's that's driven a whole lot of activity inside our team in terms of how do we best respond at the same time as acknowledging that all of the stresses and anxieties that all of our teams are feeling as, as any Australian is um, through this period. So 
uh, a really, really difficult but interesting time at the same time. Now, Larry, for you, you are the CEO of a big organisation in a smallish country. Is is your experience pretty much the same? Yeah, well, and I spent 26 years as a as a CEO of smaller organisations in a very large country in Silicon Valley. So it's 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 quite a different environment for me. But um, I ran a company through uh, 9/11, and so I thought I was prepared for a crisis of this kind of magnitude. And I was actually expecting a cycle sort of that I saw in the US during 9-11, which is, you know, am I safe? Is my job safe? Um, and, and, and is there a plan? And, and what really impressed me about my people at CIRO was, first question was, are we all safe? And then second question was, how can I help? Meaning, how can I help the country? Um, and, and what can we do to help Australia recover? So it's, it's quite different. It's a very purpose-driven organisation, and I think that's really carried us through in a, in a very powerful way. And what have been some of the major difficulties for you, given that I imagine a lot of the science has to take place in laboratories and other places, and that may not have been open, that they may not be available to people at the moment? Yeah, no, that's true. It's a challenge. But what we did very quickly was moved everyone off-site that we could um, and Soro is um, Soro has the second biggest property footprint in government after defence, so we have 57 sites around the country. So five years ago, we really beefed up our digital capability, and, and, and thanks to people like Steve who helped us do that. Um, so we're in a great position to really work digitally or, already, and that meant we could really thin out our sites so that the people who had to be on site for physical labs, things like that could be kept much safer um, in, in, by, by thinning out the sites. Mm. So, Steve, just from, from your point of view, and I think this is a, a, an interesting element that's emerged through the Work With Purpose conversations, is really the importance and the role of business and government working together. It's probably something that I underestimated the importance of it, but it's certainly this crisis has really brought that out. From your point of view, how how have you helped to work with government and what has your attitude been as the CEO of a, or the managing director of a large organisation such as Microsoft to work and to assist government through the crisis? I think it starts, David, where, where Larry was a moment ago, which is that first question that we all asked ourselves during the early stages of the of the crisis, which was, you know, am, am I OK and are my loved ones OK? Uh, the most personal question of all. Uh, and so it starts there. And then pretty rapidly, I, I think equally, as, as Larry said, people's attention then turned to how do I how do I help others and how do we come together? And And I think it's been one of the the strongest characterizations of the last six months has been the fact that business and government has come together in a way that we've we've not seen. Um, I've not seen in my uh, working career. And I think it gives us great uh, confidence about notwithstanding the challenges that we're experiencing today and all of the challenges that are still ahead that uh, we, we're all in this together, but together we're going to find a way through. Um, and, and so I think that there's that sense of solidarity and, and for us as a nation, we've got so much to be thankful for. Um, our health system, our education system, our government, right? They've done such a great job when you think about the uh, different outcomes we're seeing in different parts of the world. And, and I don't think there's, um, across the entire business community that I talk to, there's anything but um, 
solidarity that together we want to make sure we, we, we're grateful and thankful for where we've started from as we came into the crisis and, and sort of what we have going for us, but also a determination to make sure we work together to help the recovery. And Larry, from your point of view, how, how do we continue to build that linkage between business and government so as that we do work together and we sustain that once the crisis does pass? Yeah, so there's, there's a, the old saying, never waste a good crisis. And there's nothing like a crisis to give people common purpose. And, and that common purpose drives alignment. And of course, when we're aligned, we're far more efficient and far more effective than when we're misaligned or even competing in, in, in some cases. Um, so last week, um, SARA launched um, our, our missions program, which is about trying to broaden um, that alignment to focus on really clear national challenges that Australia has to navigate in order to recover from COVID-19. And it was kind of like the, the, the call to arms to bring um, business and, and the broader um, research community together to really get all the wood behind the arrowhead of a, of a smaller number of really big challenges that if we solve, we can actually build back better, come back stronger than we were before COVID-19. Mm. But in terms of that then, how, how do you make that work? How do you sustain that over time? So it can launch very positively, but then how do you work with Steve and his organisations and organisations like that? And indeed to you, Steve, how do you continue you know, to get in behind this mission, uh, for example, of CSIRO? Larry, I'll start with you. Yeah, and to be clear, it, so, so they're, not, they're not sort of CSIRO's missions. The, the whole idea of missions is they're a they're collaborative. So we've been, we've been co-creating these missions by deep engagement um, with companies like Microsoft um, and more broadly in Australian industry and equally big engagement across the whole university sector and the other um, publicly funded research institutions. Because you, you've got to have a Team Australia approach from the beginning, which means you can't just pick a mission on your own and say, we're going to go do it. You've got to, you've got to agree with the people in industry, the, the, the people in, in research, that it makes sense. SORA did a lot of work the last few years creating a thing called the Australian National Outlook and it was using science to try and map a path to prosperity because we already saw a big economic problem for Australia's future before the crisis, before the COVID-19 crisis. I think what COVID has done has made it very obvious to everyone that we, we can't keep doing things the way we've done in the past in order to grow out. And then again, we use that science and that deep engagement to pick the key roadblocks um, that were stopping some of our big industries reinventing themselves um, to be more competitive globally. And then what's been really gratifying, I think, is to see how many big companies have really leaned in to that, to that process. And you've already seen Steve's um, well underway with, with three missions that we totally co-created together and with, with other partners, and, and that's, that's great. So really, we, we, we launched well after we started because we didn't want to have that effect that you described, David, where you had a big announcement and nothing happened. We actually spent 18 months making things happen and then we decided, gee, we better talk about it so that everyone else knows what's going on. Mm. So, Steve, from your point of view, how then do you make your contribution effective to exactly what Larry's just described? You know, I think it goes back to something that Larry also mentioned, which is um, a purpose. And um, our company... Not unlike many others, but certainly at Microsoft, we, we feel very passionate about uh, helping our teams to connect their 
personal passion with the platform that is Microsoft and the privilege that we enjoy as a, as a leader in the tech space and all of the assets and capabilities that we have, we, we encourage our teams very directly to say, well, how are you going to use those for the things that uh, are important to you, for the community uh, that you live in, um, for the people that you care most about? And while that's re really easy to say, when, when you see that then in practice, you start to get a sense of just how powerful it can be. Um, one of my favourite examples of this was the work that we did with Larry's team up in the Kakadu. Um, and it's a simple application of some of our tools, but working side by side with um, CSIRO scientists uh, and traditional owners in Kakadu to, to bring together the tools that are so um, helpful and essential for um, those traditional landowners to manage the wonderful asset that is Kakadu, and in this particular case to manage the uh, spread of, of a particular noxious weed to um, then reduce the impact on um, magpie geese and other wildlife in, in that particular part of the park. So that story then fired up many, many members of our team who then thought, wow, that's, that's what we've achieved together. Where, where else could we take these assets that we have and how can we, how can we work with our partners, CSIRO, to operate at the intersection of science and technology because we know that that's where a lot of the solutions to our country's biggest problems are going to be found. And it doesn't take long um, before you start you're finding that you get this compounding impact and this snowball where lots and lots of people on my side and, and obviously on Larry's side, and for that matter, across our ecosystem, because this isn't just about Microsoft and CSIRO. Uh, Larry and I talk about this all the time. It's about how you get industry, government working together more frequently in the interests of Australia. And I think that that's exactly what we're seeing through COVID-19. And we are, we're very determined to make sure we maintain that momentum and build on it in future. Okay. Now, a feature of this podcast is the, um, the, the contribution of IPA's future leaders. So these are the future leaders of the Australian Public Service, and they like to ask questions of our guests. And I do have a question here from Holly Noble from the Department of Finance, and it's to both of you, but I'll, uh, I'll go to you first, Larry. And Holly asks, data is increasingly becoming part of how we work, how we design services and make decisions at all levels. What are your thoughts on the current data capabilities and digital literacy of the public sector? And what lessons can we learn from leaders in this field to build our capability around data to better respond to the challenges and, and citizen expectations of tomorrow? So... So one of the reasons um, for really deepening the relationship with Microsoft is because we both have a very strong interest in, in, in getting better management of data. And so Saro for decades has been one of the world's foremost authorities on um, marine plastic. You know, how does plastic get into the ecosystem and how do we stop it? But it wasn't until we partnered with Microsoft that we were able to put together all of our domain experience and, and Microsoft's amazing um, um, AI experience you put them together and pretty quickly we were able to analyse videos from rivers around the world to actually track plastics back to their source and help countries better understand and better control the plastics getting into the ocean. And that, of course, then led to our plastics mission, which is to um, eliminate 90% of the plastic getting into Australia's ecosystem by 2025. It's a very ambitious goal um, and you couldn't do it without, without data and, and, and deep science. It's a great example of how powerful that is. And then Holly, to answer your specific question, look, um, 
We created a group back in 2015 called Data61 because we were concerned about the digital literacy, not just in government, but more broadly across um, Australian industry. You know, I, I spent my whole career in Silicon Valley, so I have a pretty high bar for digital literacy in, in organisations, and, and I, I don't see that same capability um, here in Australia, not yet. But gee, in the last five years, it, it's come a long way, and I think COVID has probably accelerated us five years in terms of our digital literacy. We need to keep that up, so when we go back, we keep a lot of the digital learnings that we've had, like video conferencing, um, like um, the power of, of data, we can really change the way we work and, and come back when we recover from COVID to a much better state than where we were in um, before we came into it. And Stephen, your reflections as an outsider to the public service and knowing the dig digital literacy in your organisation, when you look at the Australian public service, where do you see that they are in terms of that capability and how can that be improved? Well, I, I might be an outsider in that in that sense of the description you've given, but I'm a I'm an Aussie, and uh, and I have to say, in terms of use of data, one of the the most comforting aspects of the last six months has been how science led our government has been in the use of data in dealing with the pandemic, and the idea that I mean, to Larry's point about um, the the um, skill level and the um, the familiarity we have with why being data literate is important. I think as Australians, we've been introduced very, very directly in the last six months to just why it's so important for us as a society and a community to know how many tests have been run, how many cases there are, how the contact tracing is working. And so I think, to, again, the, the idea that we've, we've made some massive advances in the last six months is one that I think we should be um, very focused on because those advances should help us as we look to the future. Two areas, back to Holly's question directly, that I think as a result are vital. One is the capabilities and the competencies that we have inside our, our government and, and use of technology and use of the sorts of systems that will present us with the data that we, we will use increasingly in future. And, and I think government in many cases is making the right steps down that, that path, but fair to say there's, there's a long way to go. The other thought, and maybe this is maybe this is the more important right now, is the simple idea of literacy, familiarity, and and skills. Um, and that's why I've been so pleased to see the work that the Digital Transformation Agency is doing under Randall's leadership to really focus in on digital skills and and being familiar with the impact of technology and how that will um, change the way in which governments operate here and and of course all around the world. And so a very defined effort by Randall and his team, and, and to be fair, we're working with, with Randall and his team to help skill up public servants across Australia to ensure that we have that familiarity so that we, we can then start using those tools that we know, as I say, that will be much more important in future. Okay, so the next question from our IPA Future Leaders is from Michael Sinisi from uh, PwC. And Larry, I'll uh, direct this question to you, but it is for both of you. Cybersecurity is everyone's responsibility, ranging from technical cyber roles through to everyday employees logging on with their laptops. Across the public sector, where do you think the greatest threats exist? And what capabilities should we be investing in our workforce to mitigate those threats? And a second question, what are some of the foundational capabilities that future leaders 
should develop to future-proof their careers and support ongoing innovation across the APS? Larry, to you first. Sure, and, and if I can connect that to the last question, because um, one of the areas of vulnerability, the COVID Safe app um, needs to track people and their proximity to other people who may be carrying the virus. And yet at the same time, it, it, it's, a, it's quite a high um, a potential risk for you know, personal information. And I was really gratified to see the way that CSIRO, um, uh, Randall's team, um, the Cybersecurity um, Centre were all able to work together with government to each focus on a particular part of that app to make it really deliver and deliver high level of security, but still fulfil its purpose. And similarly, um, the Australian eHealth Research Centre, um, which Soro created, does the, um, but it works in partnership with those other digital groups across the country, it populates the state dashboards with very specific data about COVID outbreaks and helps the leaders understand where their problems are and how to manage them. Again, extremely secure, um, but it had to be because it's very sensitive data. Um, I think the challenge for Australia, th th there, are, there are definitely issues around um, the digital tools and, and infrastructure, but I think they're well in hand. I think the, I think the next phase of our digital maturity or our cybersecurity maturity is around culture and, and behaviour because we want collaboration, particularly in research, but we've kind of got to be careful who we collaborate with. We want sharing of information and sharing of data, but we want to be sure who we're actually sharing it with. So the, the, kind, of, the kind of tensions um, that, that make collaboration more difficult, Steve's organisation has produced a lot of great tools to, to help manage those tensions. Um, and I think going back to the specific question, um, there are a number of ways you can really raise your own digital literacy. Um, there are a number of programs across government. I, I know that the Digital Transformation Agency has a number. Um, we have one that we used in CSIRO called um, the Digital Academy. And it's how we get our people who are in very traditional industries like agriculture and, and get them to understand the power of digital tools to transform their jobs. And there's a lot of fear about that originally, like, you know, the usual, you're going to replace me with a computer, um, until they realise that actually once you have the digital tools, you end up being able to collect, say, almost 10 times more data, which means you don't waste your time collecting the data, you invest your time in using the data to gain insights and to deliver knowledge, create knowledge that you couldn't possibly have done before you embrace those digital tools. And as a result, you have more work um, of a higher value, not, not, not less work, and the organisation gets, um, gets better efficiency. And I think that's the, that's the magic of the Digital Transformation Agency is how they've managed to use that so that, you know, we, we don't lose people, we grow capability and grow um, efficiency of delivery. Okay. And Stephen, um, your response to that question? Yeah, the second. I'll answer the second part first, if I may, David, and that would be in terms of future capabilities. I, I think, uh, as we've been discussing, there's no question there's a there's an element here of um, competence and skills, and and so uh, whether it's my private sector clients or, or or any level of government, I'm strongly advocating that there must be a deep focus on how you build literacy and how you build capability and understanding within your teams, because. Cyber security is an issue for every single Australian, every every Australian business, and clearly every every part of our government. 
um, in a way, you know, the, 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 we think about defence and security as a nation and it's a topic that, that is um, discussed openly and has been for, well, decades. Um, and and uh, cybersecurity is nothing other than that same discussion but in the online environment. One of the big implications of that, however, is that we now have contiguous borders. And so getting us as a nation and a community to acknowledge that uh, it's, it can be described as simply as that, and, and then also that, um, uh, you know, yes, there are elements there that are very deeply technical, there's no doubt, but a lot of cyber threats relate to human behaviour, um, how um, particular criminals or, or nation states may address uh, or attack um, others, um, can come down to weaknesses related to human behaviour, how you might interact with a particular invitation or how you might respond to a particular question. And so uh, we're increasingly seeing that it's there's a technical uh, element here, but then this is very much about human behaviour and it's very much about our uh, security, but just, as I say, migrated to an online environment. And um, when, when I, I talk with any audience about this topic, we're trying to attract as many people as possible into this, this conversation because uh, we need many, many more people working in cybersecurity in the country. Many will have those deep technical skills, but, but others will be very much based in human behaviour and, and how we interact with digital platforms. So, um, so I think that that's a key element of how we help address both the, the threat, but also use this as an opportunity to provide employment and clearly to ensure the future prosperity of our economy. Mm. Um, Larry, you mentioned there the digital academy and the training. Is that just something that works um, inside CSIRO or are other people in the APS available to get access to that education? You know, we, we, we have a number of programs like like ON and the Digital Academy and, and we pilot them inside CSIRO and then we tend to open them up on an as-needed basis to other parts of, of government done a lot of work with Defence and also Prime Minister and Cabinet um, where they've wanted to put people through. And yeah, that, that's a broad invitation more, more broadly across government. The more we can leverage the assets that we've already built, um, the less taxpayer money we spend mm. on, on creating them and, and the more we get out of them. Well, I'm sure people will be very interested in in upskilling there, as you can see by the, both the questions there from the IPA future leaders. Larry, if I may, um, we do have a, a little bit more time, not too much, but I do want to ask you about the ongoing scientific work inside CSRO, particularly as it relates to a vaccine. Obviously, we had the news this week from the Prime Minister about Australia's commitment to the work from Oxford University, but any sort of update there in terms of of the vaccine and any sort of guidance you might be able to give us about that? Look, um, I think the Prime Minister and, and the Health Minister have said pretty much all there is to be said, but but um, probably just clarify one thing. Um, the, the Oxford vaccine, so Saro, um did the original testing on the Oxford vaccine there, there are, I think, 180 vaccine candidates around the world. And um, we worked closely with international partners um, like um, the, the, the WHO and, uh, and CEPI um, to help decide which vaccines had the best chance of success and which ones to test. Um, we had to scale the vaccines up um, because they, we get them in a small quantity and we've got to replicate them and grow enough quantity to do trials. And you learn a lot about vaccines when you do that, particularly the manufacturing piece, which is very hard. So we did that for Oxford and for the UQ vaccine um, and a number of others. Um, I'm optimistic, um, and, and I think you heard that from the Prime Minister. Um, 
but but the challenge isn't isn't inventing the vaccine. Um, ironically, that that actually isn't quite as hard as you might think. The challenge is actually getting it into a real product, um, which is the challenge with all innovation. You know, we tend to think the hard part's the brilliant idea, but think about how many people have told you they invented the internet, <laughs> and and think about how few actually <laughs> really delivered it. So I think that's the challenge for us, and and as a country. We, we, we have to figure out how to, um, how to manufacture the vaccine here because I think otherwise it's going to be quite difficult to, to get it because every country in the world is going to be, going to be screaming for a, for a vaccine. So that's the reason Soros is really excited about the news the Prime Minister put out this week about really pushing forward on figuring out how to make the vaccine here so we can be um, insured of supply. Okay. Um, Stephen Worrell, from, from your perspective, where you, you sit today, and again, being part of a very big organisation with, uh, you know, it's globally spread to, to all parts of, of the world, um, understanding what's happening here in Australia at the moment, what's, when you look to sort of the next six to nine to 12 months, what do you see and, and, and what's your advice and guidance to people, particularly people inside the Australian public services, to how they should prepare themselves to make a contribution during this, this period? Yeah, maybe two thoughts, David. One, one personal and then one, one more professional. At a, at a personal level, uh, what I've, what I've learned and, and continue to learn almost every day is the vast uh, range of reactions to this moment that uh, we all experience. And um, I was chatting with Genevieve Bell from, from ANU just a little while ago and she made a wonderful point that as we go through this period, um, individually and collectively, we can't totalise the, uh, the experience and then generalise that as a, as a result to um, either our teams at work or in the, in the public service or to communities more broadly because the, uh, there are so many different um, reactions that, that uh, anyone in our community could have based on their uh, individual situation as a, as a parent, as a brother, a sister, a, a daughter or a son or uh, a friend or a colleague. And, and so being empathetic and um, being very deliberate about not making an assumption about how any particular person or group might be getting through this period good or bad, I think, um, is, is, is really important. Certainly has, continues to be front of mind for me. Then on the, profession, the professional side, I would make the observation that I, I think we all see uh, that digital uh, platforms are going to be more prevalent in our economy in future, right? I think, I think that's a statement that most can agree with. What, what I think is also important is that there is a, uh, and I was making this point the other day about our introduction to, or at least our, our, we've been reminded about how important supply chains are. Uh, if I think about Woolworths or Coles and the, the amazing job that they and all of their suppliers have done through this period to make sure that communities have access to food and supplies, we've been reminded just how important supply chains are. The reality in the digital world is that there is a digital supply chain in operation. And I think for Australia, a small economy in, in world terms, but an economy that is determined to get back up on its feet and to recover quickly, we just need to be thoughtful about how we operate within a globally connected digital world. And so there's this real emphasis, I think, for us in terms of partnering and um, being thoughtful about that, as Larry mentioned earlier, 
but also about maintaining uh, IP and, and doing what's in our national interest and, and it's an and, acknowledging that we do operate in a globally um, connected digital supply chain. And so having a perspective on that and then what that means for governments around the world and obviously for ours here locally, I think that they're really, it's a really important area for us to discuss further. Mm. Interesting. And, and Larry, from, from your perspective as well, I ask um, the same question. It's really you know, that future focus question. What, what's your advice and guidance, not only to the people who work for you, but to, to the broader APS and, and indeed the wider Australian community? What's, what's your best advice to people at the moment as to how we can uh, continue to manage our way through this difficult time? Yeah, no, sure. And just I'll, I'll add to that the digital question um, as well. So, so in terms of reskilling for digital, very important um, for the future, but, but don't discount the value of your domain experience. Um, whatever you do, however you do it, you have an expertise in that market, in, in, in that industry, in that job. And, and I, I, I see a lot of people fear that somehow they're obsolete. And, and the, the truth is, if, if you bring your domain expertise together with great digital capability, you end up with something much better than, than either um, could alone. Um, so, so don't discount your own domain expertise, just learn to embrace digital to leverage your knowledge even, even better and, and then that's how you create more value. And then, and then for navigating through this, look, um, as I mentioned at the beginning, our Australian National Outlook report showed that um, we needed to be concerned about Australia's um, uh, future and, and Australia's ability or lack of ability to really deliver innovation. Um, we need to be worried about that regardless of COVID. I think COVID's just really amplified that need. And, and there, are, there are key roadblocks to our success um, that if we can focus on breaking through those roadblocks, we will, we will travel that path to economic prosperity. And so pick an area, and I'll give you a few to choose from, but Australia needs to create a hydrogen industry to offset the um, lost export revenue from fossils. Um, but if we can create a hydrogen industry, and that's an industry that doesn't exist, so it's, a, it's very risky, but if we can create that, we can, we can, we can break through. Um, we need to deal with bushfires better. We need to become more drought, bushfire and flood resilient, and science and technology can really help there. I won't go through the whole list of opportunities, but you need to be thinking about what can we do differently in the future that will solve the obvious problems, drought, fires, um, the COVID pandemic. How can we be more resilient against them? And can we do it in a way that creates new industry and new jobs and new economic growth at the same time? If we can all start thinking a bit more clearly about the future um, and aligning better behind some of these big missions, I think we'll be in a much better position going forward so that we don't just recover from COVID, we actually grow back much stronger. Mm. Okay. Now, listen, just to, to conclude, it's it's a, a personal question to both of you. Uh, Larry, what have you learned about yourself through this period that perhaps you, uh, you know, hadn't thought about before? It, it, it definitely tests your personal resilience um, because, uh, like... I, like all leaders, I can't tell you how many nights, weekends I'm, I'm called into urgent meetings for issues that vary from, you know, COVID vaccine and dealing with um, shortages of critical equipment and so on, 
to things that are more internal to CSIRO. And we're pulled in every imaginable way because none of us have ever been in a situation quite like this before. So kind of staying calm, keeping your head and, and really sticking to the mission. Um, but what I found, because you have your moments of weakness where you feel like, oh my God, there's, there's too many balls in the air. Um, but I found when you're backed by a really great organization, and, and Sorrow is a fantastic organization with a strong culture, um, you realize actually we're not alone in this. And that's why I say if we can, if we can bottle that, that kind of feeling that no one has to be alone in this, we really can collaborate and come up with a far better outcome than we will if we don't collaborate. That's kind of what, what drives me and, and kind of re-energizes that sense of purpose. And I, I, I hear the same from Steve and, and he's pulled in all manner of directions because he's dealing with a global um, enterprise as well. So he has a whole other dimension. Mm. And Steve, for you, what is that, that reflection that, you know, through this, you know, extraordinary time um, that the country is not only go, has been through, but is going through, you know, this is, is not over and the impacts of it are going to be well felt for a, a, a long time to come. What, what's that, that reflection that you have about, you, you know, a personal reflection about yourself? I think the, the strongest, there's again many, many thoughts running through my mind there, David, but the, the strongest thought is just a sense of gratefulness, I think. Um, I'm truly grateful that I, I'm, I'm an Australian that I, and that I live in Australia. Um, I'm grateful that I have the privilege of, of working for a, uh, a large tech firm at this time because there's so much that I, I think that we can bring to the table and that we can contribute. Um, but I'm also grateful of, of what, what we're seeing around us, and we've talked about this during this conversation, the amazing leadership across government and business um, and in our communities um, to help bring um, many elements of our society together and indeed to think about, for those who've been disproportionately impacted through this time, how we can design a better Australia as we look to the future. And... And this this is is home as has always been my home. I've lived overseas uh, during my career, but this this is home. And so I, I have a, a sense of gratefulness, but also um, during this really difficult period, a sense that we, we can we can come out of this stronger. And I'm and I'm not just saying that because it sounds like a nice thing to say. I, I honestly genuinely believe that we, as a country, can can design things in a different way and we can address some of the gaps that we have in our society that we can make better in future. And that is um, that gets me out of bed every single morning. Well, Stephen Worrell and Larry Marshall, thank you for your service and best of luck, not only for your individual organisations, but on your collaboration and the, and that, you know, bottling uh, that that sense of, of, of coordination, goodwill, collaboration around that mission led, you know, in the key positions that you are, you will have a major influence. So I wish you all the best in sustaining that into the, the weeks, months, and indeed years ahead, as uh, Stephen says, to, to build a better Australia. Um, it's been a difficult time uh, and certainly one where we all need to pull together. And it's a, a great example of two great organisations in Microsoft and CSIRO uh, being able to pull together in the best interests of Australia. So Work With Purpose is part of the GovComs podcast network. And if you would like to listen to GovComs, please type the name into your favourite podcast browser and it is sure to pop up. Now, 
If you do happen to come across our social media promotion for Work With Purpose, please share it, pass it along. And if you are feeling particularly generous, a rating or a review does help the program to be found. Now, thanks again to the good folks at IPA. I had the good fortune to have lunch this week with Michael Manthorpe and David Hazelhurst and Drew Baker, uh, and we discussed potential innovation for the Work With Purpose platform, and not just the podcast, but I can tell you that the IPA leadership is positively fizzing with new ideas, and that is extremely exciting for this great platform that we are developing together. Thanks also to the Australian Public Service Commission for their ongoing support for Work With Purpose, and thanks to you, the audience, for coming back in such strong numbers once again. Uh, That's it for now. We'll be back at the same time next week with another program. But for the moment, it's bye for now. Work With Purpose is a production of Content Group in partnership with the Institute of Public Administration Australia and with the support of the Australian Public Service Commission. 